0: We're going to do something a little different tonight. We're not going to be looking at the Psalms. We are going to get back to those, um, but not tonight. Um, So I guess I could have mentioned this in the prayer request, but July is going to be a a busy month for me, so you can uh, just be praying for me in that as far as um, getting a message ready for Fight of Faith, getting a message ready for Salt and Light, and then... um, and then also, I'm, I'm in a busy part of a marriage and family class right now. So that's where the divorce message came from last week. And uh, more than likely, there'll be a few more messages as it relates to that area uh, from Scripture that I bring uh, in the coming weeks. So tonight, I wanted, to do a, uh, I wanted to do a message that I don't suppose it's a follow-up, but it is in relation to uh, the message on Sunday. So on Sunday we looked at a biblical view of divorce and remarriage and got a lot of good feedback from that. A lot of comments just concerning biblical clarity and, and, uh, and those, those kinds of things. And, and I said this to somebody, and, and I'll say it to the church because I think it's worth saying. Um, if you were blessed by the message on Sunday... And listen to everything I say before you. Tell, it's not meant to be an arrogant statement. If you were blessed by what was presented on Sunday, what I did on Sunday was not that hard. I briefly made explanatory comments on seven passages. And when God's word was brought to light, it was a blessing to you. Right? And there was nothing technical about what I did on Sunday. I, you know, seven, well, Six points, I think maybe it was eight passages or nine. In one hour and four minutes, I went back and looked. I didn't have a lot of time to say a whole lot about any of those. And Really, all that happened was I just opened up the word and said what it said, and you were blessed by that. Isn't that wonderful? But Now, the other side of that is you can do the exact same thing. That doesn't mean you're called to preach. But if you want to know what ministry of the word looks like, it looks like that. It looks like exposing what a text says and then God using that to bless his people, whether that's in a one-on-one conversation or whatever other scenario. So just just want to say that just because um, it really does... Highlight. I mean, you're you're an encouraging group to 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 preach to, and um, and uh, I mean, I'm honestly not always looking for uh, for affirmation after a sermon, but uh, I got a lot of feedback on Sunday more than more than usual, and um, and to me, it just highlighted the the the, the reality that um, you know we didn't go into a lot on Sunday. We just kind of skipped a rock over 8 or 9 verses and it was a blessing because the word brought clarity to a subject that's real and relevant and that God speaks to so in light of that um so we talked about divorce and we talked about remarriage and some of the sticky things that go along with that and we in the in the afternoon discussion particularly we talked about the fact that no matter what a divorce is devastating, even when it there's biblical grounds. There's a lot of devastation that comes along with a divorce. Now, I say that just to say um, what we want to do when we're thinking about this whole topic of marriage or divorce or remarriage is we want to kind of back up from the whole divorce remarriage uh, topic and and. Leave that where it is. I mean, everything there still applies, but we want to ask the question, what does it look like for a church to have a high view of marriage? I mean, that's a question that's worth asking, isn't it? We talked about on Sunday that for some people what it looks like for a church to have a high view on marriage is that they distort the Bible's teaching on divorce and remarriage, whether that's intentional or not intentional. They they draw the lines and they make it too simplistic and too black and white in a way that is not congruent with the way scripture handles the subject. And so we want to ask then if, if what we said on Sunday is true, then what would it look like for a church to have a high view of marriage? And some people would think, that having a high view of marriage means that we regularly make strong statements that condemn the flippant way that marriage is treated in our culture. Now, it's no surprise that our culture does not hold marriage in high esteem at all, is it? It's no surprise. And if we're going to say what Scripture says about marriage, then to some degree we do have to make statements that are against or statements that might even condemn some of the ways that the culture denigrates the marriage relationship and the marriage covenant. But I want to make an argument tonight, brothers and sisters, at least on one, at least in, on this one little slice of the pie, I want to argue that a church that has a high view of marriage is engaged in preparing its young folks by equipping them with biblical wisdom and skill. What would you do? Well, let me give you this scenario. If you went to McDonald's right now and put in an application and got hired, you know what they would do before they set you loose? They would train you. Train you to prepare pre-cooked processed meat and dump what's supposed to be a potato, but it's not, in a fryer to serve to somebody. They're going to train you for that. What do we typically do whenever people get engaged? I don't necessarily mean us because we did the premarital thing, but but I even mean going further than that. But what do Christians in the church typically do? Oh, praise the Lord, you're such a cute couple. This is so exciting. Can't wait to see what the Lord has in store for you. And that's about the extent of it. Brothers and sisters, you know this already, but marriage is hard. Right or wrong? Right. Marriage is hard. And many times uh, we can pastors can make these strong statements in the pulpit about the state of marriage in our culture and and church members can can give all these uh, disappointments about the state of of marriage in our culture and 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 we haven't taken the time to use the common sense that God has given us to connect the dots that typically when people get ready to do something that's different and challenging. They're equipped for that task before they're thrown into it. But not with marriage for some reason. That's the institution and that's the thing that everybody's supposed to figure out on their own. Well, again, I want to make the argument tonight that if a church has a high view of marriage, then we're going to be, uh, we're going to be concerned with and involved in investing in those who are entering into that covenant. Because, and we'll, we'll hit this in a minute, um, but because God has, He puts a high priority on marriage, we ought to do the same thing. Galatians chapter 6, i I'm not. you can turn there if you want, but I'm, I'm really just going to hit the principle. Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 9 gives us this principle that we will reap what we sow. We're going to reap what we sow. Now, that's, that's just a general principle for life. In God's economy, that's the way it works. If we, if we sow to the flesh, we reap death. If we sow to the spirit, we will reap life. And so we cannot take an approach to finding a spouse that is primarily based on sowing to the flesh and expect, by sowing to the flesh, really I just mean adopting the world's wisdom, and then expect somehow to reap a spiritually healthy relationship. Now, how is how is a young person going to know the difference, really? And by that, I don't necessarily mean in some of the bigger categories, but, but even in some of the more minute categories. I, I tell people this all the time in premarital. I'm equipping you with this information and this knowledge, but, but it might be months before you, you, you wake up and say, okay, now I know what Brother Lewis was talking about. Now I understand what he was trying to say. Because it's not a hypothetical, it's a reality. And so there are so many things in the wisdom category when it comes to relationships and marriage that, um, that young folks who are unmarried don't even have categories built in their head for yet. They just have no idea, and they have no reason to have any idea. And so that's, that's going to be the, uh, the strength of having someone who loves them, cares about them, who's walking with the Lord to come <laughs> along and invest in them. Hosea 4.6 says this, even if we were to just back up from the whole wisdom side of things, Hosea 4.6 says, My people perish for lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. I wonder how many Christians or how many professing Christians enter into the marriage covenant without having any idea as to what it is that God is expecting of them as they enter into that covenant. What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to submit? What does it mean to um, grow in oneness with one another? What expectations should you have does it mean that your relationship is somehow damaged if you have conflict? Is there any real uh, necessity for you to learn how to communicate with each other? Any of those things. You know, the Bible has very concrete answers to all of those questions. And God gave us those for a purpose. It's so that we might use and enjoy his good gift in a way that glorifies him and as it relates to marriage in a way that reflects Christ and the church. Over the last several years, I've typically started out, as far as premarital goes, I typically start out with this, with this statement, um, and I believe it. Marriage is a blessing, and it is a great gift from God. Now you two get to decide what you're going to do with it. Now that's true. It is a blessing if you use it right. It is a blessing if you enter into it, knowing what the Lord is giving you and how the Lord expects you to navigate this blessing and what it is that this blessing is really meant for in your life. So, just on a, just on a, uh, maybe an equipping scale from a, A wide lens. I just want to start out with the question. How are we supposed to think through dating relationships biblically? How are we supposed to think through a dating relationship biblically? Before you ever get to engagement, before you ever get to thinking about marriage, how are you supposed to think through dating relationships? Do you even call it dating? Do you have to call it courtship? Is is there something else that you need to be calling it? Or is that the big deal? You know, some people get so hung up on that that they never get past it. Uh, Some people are so busy trying to figure out who they can say dating to and who they have to say courtship to. Can I tell you that doesn't even matter? Um, If you're thinking about relationships biblically, then you need to be thinking... my two cents on it, and I think this is far more consistent with the Bible. You want to be thinking about method over model, okay? Method over model. What I mean by that is, you need wisdom over some prepackaged model. Now, you you all remember the? I guess it was I don't know it was the early two thousands or late nineties when Josh Harris came out with "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." Some of you are going to remember that anyway. And it was the, um, the, the, the courtship model that, a, uh, uh, that he wrote about that was um, exalted as uh, superior over everything else. And what he was fighting against was fine. Uh, he, it took off in the Christian world and was heralded. He was heralded as kind of the relationship expert. And the guy had barely been married whenever he wrote the book. If wisdom is your method, you're going to be scratching your head when a guy who knows very little about method, about marriage becomes the expert in marriage. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that you can't come to Scripture and, 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 and come to an understanding of what God says about marriage. I am saying just because you have an understanding of the information does not make you an expert when it comes to how this plays out in real life. Okay? So... Sometimes people can get so stuck with a model that they get hung up on things like how old should we be when we, whenever we get married and, and what should this whole process look like and um, give me the checklist. Well, let me tell you this. You can't plug a relationship into any model and expect to get a predictable outcome. You just can't do it. Not whatever it comes to what would it mean for me to navigate a relationship in a way that is honoring to the Lord, there is an answer for that. And the answer is get wisdom, get discretion, get discernment. Learn how to think in a way that reflects God's thoughts and God's discernment. And we can do that as we grow in our relationship with Him through scripture. Those are things that you can attain. And so look in Proverbs chapter 9. It's a passage I like to go to when talking about these kinds of things. Proverbs chapter 9, starting in verse 1, says, Wisdom hath builded her house, she hath hewn out her seven pillars, she hath killed her beast, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table, she hath sent forth her maidens, she crieth upon the high places of the city, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come. Eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Now this is a beautiful picture of wisdom. Wisdom here is busy fulfilling legitimate responsibilities and legitimate roles. Wisdom is not idle. Wisdom here is not looking for some sort of a prepackaged process to make sure things are going. Wisdom is working. And wisdom is working on the right things in the right way. And then we get this invitation in verse 5. Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Brothers and sisters, there's plenty of fine tips. There's plenty of uh, uh, experiential knowledge that you can gain from somebody as far as that kind of thing goes. But if you have a high view of marriage, or if you're trying to cultivate a high view of marriage, you've got to begin with a high view of wisdom. You, can't, you cannot navigate your marriage without wisdom. At least you can't navigate it in a way that's going to reflect what God intends for it to be. And here's why. Because first and foremost, um, you're coming into marriage as a sinful, unpredictable person who's probably not going to be the same a year from now as you are today. Secondly, your spouse is the same way. Okay, So you're going to have to, it's, 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 it's not just a, uh, let's take a personality test and make sure our codes line up so that we can be compatible. Uh, you've heard me say this before, but you know compatibility is a myth, don't you? And it's tr- in the truest sense of the word. Okay. You're only compatible with whoever's on board with your agenda in the moment. That's the way that works. Now, you may like the same sport as somebody, or you might like the same kind of TV show as somebody, but I can promise you your marriage is not going to be built on a TV show or a sport. Okay. Compatibility uh, is uh, you need to be thinking more along the lines of communication conflict resolution rather than compatibility because that that you're not going to build much on that. So as you start out, what are some things you ought to be thinking about? We're going to move through some of these pretty quickly. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you're going to be wise and navigate these navigate this whole area of relationships in a wise way, what are you going to be thinking about? What are the categories you need to have built into your head and into your heart? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 more than likely, you know this one. You were already thinking about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? As far as this first category, um, it's pretty clear... but but I want to make sure you understand how this principle applies to what we're talking about and thinking about marriage. It's not just unwise, but it is a flat-out sin for a Christian to entertain the notion of marrying a non-Christian. That's a sin. That's a violation of God's Word. And so when you're thinking about Early on, I'm not talking about when you're thinking about getting engaged. I'm not talking about when you're thinking about, you know, thinking about getting engaged. When you're thinking about entering into a relationship with someone that's more than just, we're, you know, more than just a, some sort of a acquaintance, and that person is a non-Christian, and this is a relationship that's moving toward what we would call a romantic type relationship, you better slow down. That's not something you need to be getting involved with. Why? Well, we looked at some of the messiness involved in some of that in, in 1 Corinthians 7 last Sunday when it came to the divorce, remarriage kind of thing. But secondly, if you're a Christian and your goal is to have a high view of marriage and to honor the Lord... You cannot do that with someone who has absolutely no regard for God and for his word and for his church and for his people. You can't do that. And so number one, it has to be, whoever it is that you're going to get involved with has to be a Christian. Now the the question is, how far do we take this principle as it relates to doctrinal unity? Because that's a That's a question that comes up. As a matter of fact, in the past, some people have taken this principle way too far, claiming that if a primitive Baptist marries a non-primitive Baptist, that they're sinning. That's not in the text. You can't get there from the text. But the question is, does doctrinal unity matter? And the answer is yes. One thing you ought to be asking yourself as it relates to these kinds of things is how many barriers to your oneness are you willing to bring into your marriage? You suppose it's going to be a, a, an area of conflict and strife if you are a, um, if you believe the doctrines of grace and you're marrying somebody who's a staunch Arminian, you think there's, there's going to be some conflict that comes along with that if you begin to try to sort through issues from a biblical perspective, as you begin to try to raise your children? Okay. Oneness talk, it means unity. It means you're moving in the right, right direc- uh, same direction in the same way. Okay. And there's some real barriers there. So, am I saying it's a sin? No. But am I saying that it's foolish? Yes. And foolish decisions can lead to very painful consequences. And so this is one of those things where it's, again, when I say it's a wisdom issue, it's one you want to give some hard thought to. You want to be thinking about these kinds of things long before your heart is invested in a relationship that you have a hard time breaking off. Um, Secondly, this this is just common sense. You know this without me even... Um, quote in the text, but it is common, 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 especially with our young folks here, not here in this church, but with our young folks in the culture that we live in. Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31, verse 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, this goes for a woman or a man that fears the Lord. Here's the point that I want to make. A relationship that is built primarily on physical attraction is a relationship that is doomed to destruction. A relationship that is built primarily on, I think she's beautiful or I think he's cute. Now, that doesn't mean you're supposed to find the ugliest person you can and marry him. Okay, attraction is supposed to be, you know, it's there. It's something. But if it's everything, uh, you're signing up for misery. You do not have a high view of marriage if the reason you're moving into a relationship is because of the way somebody looks. Now, how do you know? How do you know? Because again, you know, attraction is real and attraction should be there. But if there's very little substantive conversation in a relationship, there's a good chance it's primarily built on attraction. Um, And it's a problem if there's very little substantive communication because communication really is the lifeline of a growing and biblically healthy relationship. Anybody that's ever gone through premarital with me knows we hit communication almost every single session, somehow, some way, And the reason is, and you can attest to this, if you've ever had a big issue that needed to be worked through and it just got bigger than it should have, then typically it could have been said, honey, we should have talked about this a long time ago, but we didn't. Okay. Nobody's shaking their head, but that's usually the way it works. Okay. Where, where the skill of communication is lacking, um, there's big problems ahead. Secondly, in this whole area, if, if you're wondering, you know, is our relationship built primarily on attraction? Uh, you, you can also know that just because purity is typically compromised pretty early on in a relationship that's just built on attraction. Purity is compromised early on in those kinds of relationships. So it's a foolish thing to build your relationships on physical attraction only. Now, Hollywood has it, you know, written in a different way. The culture that we live in has it in a different way. But real life, these things typically end in disasters. Third... Proverbs 11.14, we mentioned this on Sunday, um, but I am going to turn there. Proverbs 11.14, where no counsel is, the people fall, but in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so a wise individual is going to carefully consider the input given by those who know them and those who love them. It's This idea in a relationship that it's especially a relationship that's kind of just started or a relationship that hasn't even really gone anywhere. If you're thinking it's me and you against the world, okay, you got problems in that relationship already. You need to be surrounding yourself with good, godly, wise people who are speaking into your life, who know you, and also who are not. I don't. I don't mean they're in a in an all-out investigation on the person that you're involved with, but I do mean they love you enough and are discerning enough to be able to pick up on red flags and let you know when they see them. Um, So we're talking about parents, family members, pastor, church family. I'm not saying it has to be all of those, but somebody who's close to you, who's going to be honest with you. I would also say this if you are young and you are single, a wise individual is not going to wait for somebody to come to them. They're going to invite accountability into their life. They're going to realize that it is true that the heart is deceitful. It is true that I have blind spots. It is true that I can let what I want get in the way of what I know to be true as far as making a wise decision goes. And I need you speaking into my life. Now, just those three things on, uh, we could say a lot more, but just those three things on the, on the front end before somebody gets into a relationship that might even turn serious, if you had those three things going, has to be a believer. It's a uh, relationship that I know is going to be built on substance. It's not just he's cute or, I, or, or, or she's pretty. Uh, And then a relationship where there's some accountability going on, where people are speaking into your life. Now, why would you put those three things into play? Because you realize that this relationship or any relationship fits under the umbrella and the overall context of what it means for you to live your life to the glory of God. That's pretty big. A lot of times we get ourselves in trouble when we think, well you know i love the lord and i know i you know you you've heard these kinds of things before you know i know i love i know i love my god i know i love my jesus don't tell me this and don't tell me but if we're thinking about wisdom and what it means to love god by trying to bring our life under the authority of his word then there are some principles that we need to implement and when it comes to relationships on the front end these three will go a long way Now, those are just basic categories there, but what about whenever relationships begin to develop and get more serious? We're thinking now about pre-engagement, pre-marital kinds of things. Well, I said this already. I said this uh, earlier, but I'll I'll say it again. It's no secret that if a couple wants me to marry them, then we're going to go through a pretty intense time of pre-marital counseling. That's something that I make... Pretty clear on the front end. You have to be. You have to start it, and you have to end it. Um, now, why would we? Why would I? Uh, why would I require that? Um, well, some of us because of what I've already said. Marriage is hard work. Okay, now, when I say a pretty intense, it is intense. It's, it, it takes six to eight weeks, depending on your pace of moving through it, six to eight weeks. I'm not saying everybody has to go through that in order to have a successful marriage. I'm just saying you have to go through that in order for me to be confident that I'm going to marry you. Why? Well, if you can't put six to eight weeks into preparing for your marriage, what does that tell me about the effort you're going to put into it after you've got it? Okay. Now, that might seem like an unfair question, but I don't think it is. Again, you go to McDonald's and you're going to have a level of training and some standards you have to hit before they set you loose on that fryer that a 12-year-old could run. And then people come ready to get married and we say, have at it. So we want to get a little more specific. We want to get a little more intense when we're thinking about this. And so what kinds of things should we be thinking about? Well, at this point, we want to move past generalities and we want to get into some specifics. So marriage primarily, we talked about this on Sunday, is a, uh, is a covenant relationship, covenant companionship. And so it would be good to know, um, it would be good to know what, what kind of relationships does this individual currently have? Do um, you know relationship building is is both a commitment and a skill? Some people some people think, man, there's just some things I just can't do. I'm just not good at. It. And communication is one of those things. A lot of people think I'm just not a good communicator. I just you may not be comfortable with it, but communication is a skill. You could get good at it if you don't feel like you are, just by implementing a couple of principles and practicing those. I'm not saying to be the best speaker. I'm just saying you could get good at it. Some people say, I'm just not good at resolving conflict. Well, that's a skill. Brothers and sisters, that's not a uh, gifting from above. That's a skill. And you can learn the skills that it takes and you can implement those skills to successfully resolve conflict God's way if you've got two people who are committed to those skills. Well, relationships are built on those kinds of skills. And so we want to make sure that People are practicing those along with their commitment to one another. And did you know you don't have to guess? You don't have to guess about people's commitments. You get a free preview into any prospective spouse's commitments by looking at what's going on in their current family relationships and their commitment or lack thereof to the church. That'll tell you a lot about somebody. Okay? Okay. So, question that you ought to be asking, is this individually, is this individual actively committed to a local church? Now we've already gotten past believer-unbeliever, but if somebody tells me that I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I've committed myself to him, but they haven't committed himself to the church, one of two things is going on. Either they just simply have not been taught what Scripture has to say about the Christian's relationship to the church. That's a possibility. Or it may be that they have a problem with long-term commitment and placing themselves under authority. Whichever one that is, I want to know before we go to the altar and you say I do. And you should want to know that as well. If it's just a lack of information, that's fine. That can be, that can be remedied. We can, we can fix that. But if it's somebody who just has a problem with long-term commitment and placing themselves under the authority of the church, you can mark it down. They're not placing themselves under the authority of God either. Okay? That's something that ought to be talked about. That's something that ought to be discovered before. And really all you're doing is just drawing out what's already there. So in order to have a biblically successful marriage, both spouses are going to need to understand and be able to scripturally apply what they know about the institution of marriage, roles and responsibilities in marriage, physical intimacy. You know, God created that and has a lot to say about that. Communication, conflict resolution, finances, and we could go on and on and on. And again, brothers and sisters, unfortunately, many churches that claim to have a high view of marriage gloss over every bit of that and just focus on how cute the couple is and how much they know the Lord has blessings in store for them and move on. We do a disservice when we ignore or assume that all these things are automatically known. And so here's the other part of it, and this is really where the church uh, as a whole can be intentionally very helpful. Not only do young couples need instruction in these areas, but they also need the wisdom to relate it to real-life scenarios. So roles and responsibilities, the information is the same. Um, The way you apply that in your home might be different than the way I apply it in mine. Okay. There's, there's a little wiggle room as to how all that has to play out. You know, it's a blessing for a couple to be able to see what it looks like in real life, to have conversations about what it looks like in real life. Um, a lot of times I'll ask uh, couples at the end of premarital what was most helpful, and almost across the board, it's some kind of a personal story that I told that was applying or illustrating one of the principles that was memorable to that person because they got to see what it looked like in real life. Well, again, that's something where, as as a couple is going through premarital, that's something where the church could be, different families in the church could be intentional about having that couple over for dinner, asking about what they're learning, having a discussion with them about things that were helpful to them, and pouring into them, helping to equip them, not in a lecture-type way, but in a way that brings some of these principles to, to life and to clarity in their own experience. And so, I think we would all agree, mean, all Christians would agree, that we want to do everything in our power, biblically, to make sure that marriages succeed. Sometimes, and I just and and I don't want to make an overstatement here, but I don't think it's an overstatement to say the majority of the time that whole notion of doing everything we can do just consists of making some statements about how bad things are or making some statements when things have already gotten so bad that they're falling apart. A high view of marriage means that we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to help encourage and equip our young brothers and sisters who are entering into the marriage covenant so that number one, they're ready to face the challenges that come to the glory of God, but then number two, when those real challenges face, uh, when those real challenges hit, they realize that one of the tremendous blessings God has given them is the church to help walk with them through the common difficulties of life to the glory of God. And so, brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you tonight uh, as we think about this, it's not one of these, it's not a thing where, you know, you're ready to, Um, jump up and pull somebody aside and start digging in. But just to start thinking about how you might, how you might up your game just a little bit on what it means to equip the young men and women in this church to move into God-exalting marriages as you have opportunity to encourage. It may just mean you have them over for dinner. You have the kind of conversation I meant, I, I, I spoke about earlier. It may, may mean that whenever you are concerned about something, you don't hold your tongue, but you, you approach someone in wisdom. Whatever it means, it does mean this. You're involved and engaged. I don't mean in a marriage sense. I just mean you're engaging with those who you've committed to as far as the membership of this body. And so, may God bless us to grow in this area. Again, it's an area where wisdom is required, but it's an area where we cannot sit back and do nothing and pretend to have a high view of marriage. Let's pray. Father, uh, we uh, we thank You that You've given us Your Word and that Your Word is equipping. Lord, You've given us warnings. You've given us instruction. You've given us... Um, uh, principles of discernment. Um, and so, Father, you've also given us one another as far as the church is concerned. Uh, Lord, I pray you would bless us to know how to apply this message um, in our individual lives. For some of us, it would be easier to figure out than others, but you have um, uh, you have given us um, each other and you've also given us 59 one another's in Scripture. And so I pray that we would be wise, we would be intentional, and that we would um we would interact with one another to the glory of God in Jesus name amen